There are days that define your story beyond your life. Welcome to 5-Minute Arrival. The podcast where we look at the film Arrival five minutes at a time. I'm Robert. I'm Sarah. Any questions? Where do you want? Where are you from? Why are you here? This is the priority. Our priority today is minutes one through five, which begin, of course, with the various company logos, Paramount, Film Nation, Lava Bear, 21 Laps, and then the opening titles begin, and we cut to Louise's house, everything in silhouette. I forget if it was the director or the production designer I heard an interview with where they did specific things in this, like the lamp is half a circle to match the alien ship for later. Also, the silhouette makes everything a little vague visually. And the opening shot is water and yeah. a tree. We're like moving down and water comes up late. We're seeing water from inside the house looking through the window mm-hmm. as that shot comes down. And then a little bit later, which we'll get to, we're seeing the water behind Hannah from oh, the yeah, outside. We also already start with the like framing of visuals later in the alien ship. Everything is in that rectangle. They, they're limited by what they can see within yeah. the frame. And that first shot is the rectangle. And the first shot is from inside the window instead of just the water. And that's, I think, could represent lots of things, but representing our limited Mm -hmm. perception and perspective based on our own perception of time and space and memory and reality. Now, certain points in the film where we get the quote-unquote flashbacks, it does matter, I think, when they happen. I thought it was interesting in this opening shot that there are, is a wine bottle on the table outside and two wine glasses. So the film seems possibly to be beginning when she is with Ian because, or, or she just really likes wine, but <laughs> she uh, probably doesn't like the washing <laughs> glasses. So yeah. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> it's not for Hannah because I'll get to this later and more, more specifically, but in the film version, Hannah dies at 15. So she's probably not drinking wine. In in the original story, she's much older. And we begin with narration. Louise says, I used to think this was the beginning of your story. Memory is a strange thing. It doesn't work like I thought it did. We are so bound by time, by its order. And we get a shot of Louise holding a baby's hand. Uh, Nurse says, okay. Nurse picks up the baby. The baby fusses. And Louise says, okay, come back to me. Come back to me. Come back to me. And she takes the baby. And... We're barely into the movie and I'm already thinking, we haven't introduced ourselves properly because we didn't do a pilot episode, but I like movies, lots of them, and like connecting them to each other, as I did in Groundhog Day Project a lot. And this immediately made me think of the film Somewhere in Time, which is also about a time loop, a closed time loop. Based on the story by Richard Matheson, Bid Time Return, old woman shows up at the beginning of the film to meet a guy who has never met her and tells him, come back to me. And it begins a weird journey going back in time to fall in love and then lose it. And and I, I will, we will reference time loops in the play of time in this film a lot, but it's definitely a specific obsession of mine, time loop films. And so I will enjoy referencing films and TV shows that include that because I like time loops as a story structure because they require a lot of discipline on the part of the writer to make them work. And they suggest a faith in the audience especially in this film, that we will understand what is happening, even when it doesn't always explain it. Yeah, and I was surprised having seen this film a few times, but then looking at the script, that not to give spoilers away for later, but just 
how much is told to the audience straight out. In the script, in, yeah. Yeah, just in the first few lines, just in Louise's narration. Mm-hmm. It's like they tell you exactly yeah. what the film is, but didn't really think about it. Which, which is useful in a script. You want people yeah. reading it to know what kind of thing you're making. The script isn't necessarily made for the audience. But the audience hears the, the narration. True. But the narration is there so that we, I think it's creating a sort of mystery in a way at the beginning. Yeah. We don't know why she's talking about memory. Right. We see her daughter at multiple ages here, but we don't know when the story takes place. The implication, and this will come up a lot, is that all these scenes with her daughter already happened. Yes. Yeah. So the film plays in the beginning like we're watching Mm -hmm. memory. Yeah. And I guess we kind of are. We are. But as we talk about memory and time. Uh, (laughs) Knowing that it's not flashbacks, my actual interest at this point is figuring out at what point does Louise realize they're not like what they are. She doesn't take the job of going to the alien ship knowing what she's doing. So her ability to understand time differently does not exist yet, which slightly contradicts the idea of understanding time differently, but that's just the way her brain is. Her brain hasn't been rewired to experience things differently yet. Well, her in that moment that she's experiencing can't or doesn't, but depending on how we perceive time, and I'm sure we'll talk about this over the course of the film. (laughs) If, based on the one theory of time, everything that's ever happened is has already happened and we're just experiencing different points yeah. than she has, but I guess what matters more is her perception of where she Yeah, is. And, and there's a point in the film, I believe, where it's implied that she is seeing these things before she knows what they are. Yeah. And, by the way, I'm Sarah, as you make movie connections. I'm not as good with that or visual things in general. Also, you've seen thousands more films than I have, but I love films where my brain is just lost in theory or philosophy. And so from the opening narration of this film, I'm like, okay, I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then just these first few minutes we get her remembering, as far as we know, a daughter at multiple ages, and it all flows together like it the exact timing doesn't matter, which, yeah, is already suggesting an interesting sort of philosophical perspective. And by the way, somewhat obvious, but her name, Hannah, is a palindrome. Yes, yeah. and they do, they do discuss it later at one point, but yeah, it's useful to bring up ahead of time. And... Should we go to the memories part? We, we cut to Hannah at age four in a cowboy costume, which I am very envious of, <laughs> I would say, because it's overalls with attached horse parts that hang off, like she's riding a horse. I would have loved that as a kid. I had a hobby horse on a stick where you have to hold on to it. This is much more convenient. Yeah, we're old. I think all of us Gen Xers and those older had that horse on a stick. <laughs> right. And I hadn't even noticed this before, but Looking at just these five minutes, I noticed this costume and I was like, oh, I was like, I want that when I was younger. So I want that in the past. But also, I think it's an interesting visual of Hannah as part costume because essentially the movie is about Louise becoming part alien. So it's like already got that sort of hybrid combination of things, even with a silly little visual of just a child's costume for play. Yeah. And just identity and this idea that we're all not only wearing a costume, but the costumes that we wear are largely given to us by others, mm-hmm. starting with our name and then our clothing. Yeah. 
And so Louise says, are you the sheriff in this here town? These are my tickle guns and I'm going to get you. And we get shots of them playing out in the grass by the water. Candace says, no. Louise says, you want me to chase you? You better run. They continue to play for a bit. And then we get a shot of Louise is sitting down and Hannah keeps playing without her. And Louise looks down as in the narration, she says, I remember moments in the middle, which uh, the visual, I think, suggests that she is remembering, like this narration is almost happening in this scene, even though it should be happening later, which goes back to her experience of time. Because it cuts from Louise looking down here to Louise looking down in Hannah's bedroom. So it repeats the same tilt from Louise to Hannah that we just had in the hospital as well of her and the baby. So Louise on the left, baby on the right, and we get the same framing. But this is now Hannah at age eight. And then we get the first of many, I think it's the first of many. We might have gotten one of Louise earlier. Oh, the, the stick em up actually. We already got it. We get these POV direct shots of people looking right at the camera, especially yeah. Hannah looking right at the camera. And so we cut to Hannah looking up at the camera, lying in bed. And she says, I love you. Now, this whole scene is not in the movie, but we do get a glimpse of this scene in Minute 97. This is the scene where they talk about her name being a palindrome. So the scene yes. reference here is that scene. And then it cuts to Hannah, age 12, also looking at the camera. She says, I hate you. And I think any parent could relate to mm-hmm. that Jackson oh, yes. decision. Yes. Like. It doesn't even have to be four years apart like this. It could be the same yeah, day. Exactly. <laughs> Five minutes apart. <laughs> And then we jump to Hannah at age 15. Before we get into that scene, mm-hmm. a little bit more on memories yeah. and how this film is starting with memory. Holding on to memories, of course, is such an innately human thing, which is also very specifically human. Mm-hmm. And we demonstrate this and have as soon as we could through pictures, through social media, well, even before pictures. And long before social media, just in diaries and writing, just the idea of preserving moments and thoughts and feelings for a future time. And these memories are usually tied more to emotion than with order of events. People don't typically want to just document every, unless they're a documentarian, that's just, I mean, that's not usual. It's unusual. Most of us, what we're putting on social media, the pictures that we're taking, the things that we're preserving, it's tied to emotions Mm -hmm. or like culturally important or relevant events within our families or with our friends. And perception and perspective play a huge role, even in fact-based memories. Yeah. And it made me think about what my earliest memories were and how our earliest memories would <laughs> shape us. And so I wanted to share my earliest memory, which is from when I was about two and a half years old. My parents had driven us to Wisconsin to go to a zoo. Okay. And I remember that when we got to the entrance of the zoo, it was a hill going down and Wisconsin is a pretty rainy state, so there were puddles everywhere, and I ran down the hill as fast as I could because I was a very excited two-and-a-half-year-old who just got to the zoo, and my parents, just remember them, like, stop, slow down, don't let it run away, and I just ran, and of course, I got to the puddle near the end and went, like, face first, (laughs) (laughs) was completely drenched. We didn't even get to go to the zoo. I don't remember my parents being super angry, which is good, I guess. 
we weren't very happy about it. <laughs> I think they just took it as, well, okay, here's the thing that happens when you have a two-year-old. But <laughs> they, I remember them, like, wrapping me up when we got to the car. And I remember being at some restaurant eating and never having gone to the zoo. And I think about and maybe could ask them, like, because even that specific memory, it's like, I remember running down the hill. I remember being in a restaurant. But I don't really remember the events of that day clearly or linearly. And I wonder, like, what am I forgetting? What did, well, what's right about this? What's wrong about this? I think this? that could be because it's a zoo. Like, I don't know what age this would be. One of the earliest things I kind of remember is going to, it was called Marineland. It was a mm-hmm. competitor with SeaWorld in LA. So I vaguely remember being there. But I think the reason I have trouble remembering the specifics is because I have been to SeaWorld more times Mm. and much more recently. Like, going to a zoo is not a unique memory. Falling on that hill at this specific zoo is unique, where you might have been to many zoos over your lifetime. Yeah. Or many trips to to a few zoos. And so it makes it more unique. Like, one of the first things I remember specifically is going to see Return of the Jedi. Mm Mm-hmm. But I had seen movies in theaters before that. I have a specific mm-hmm. memory of my mother covering my eyes during Raiders of the Lost Ark because she thought they were going to show the guy's face get cut off by the propeller. They don't. Yeah. But she didn't know that. She hadn't seen it. And I remember that because I could still see the screen she missed. <laughs> nice. And so specific memories are either very finite or they tie to later things. Like probably the earliest thing I can remember is my third birthday party. Most of that, why it stuck with me is because we had a lot of photos from that day. And so I had a lot of visuals that kept the memory in my head because there was a picture where I posed with all my gifts sitting on the heater. It was turned off. (laughs) But I remember that moment in the opposite direction of like, that was my mother taking the picture. My sisters were off to the left. There was a table with cake off to the side that I could see from there. I also could have invented that based on seeing that photo so many times. Yeah. I don't know. And so then it ties back to the idea that memory also gets altered every time you remember it. So then it comes down to, now I remember looking at those photos more than I remember the party. Yeah, because our memories become remembering our memories memories, rather than... And I think about that because there are certain stories that I've told that are never lies, but I still wonder, like, how much... How accurate are they? Like, how Mm -hmm. much have they changed just in the retelling of the story? And I also think about how much those earlier memories shape our personalities. Like, I'm a very cautious person. We've seen that just in the way we get into a poll, for example, Mm -hmm. where you'll dive right in and I'll be very slow and very deliberate about it. And I'm like that socially. I'm like that with just about everything. I have to analyze and overanalyze before I make a decision. And I wonder, Clearly, as a two and a half year old girl, I had no problems running away from my parents <laughs> and down a giant hill and not worrying that it was muddy or <laughs> dirty or anything. And it's like, if I hadn't fallen into a giant puddle, would I be as cautious today? Yeah, if I you, realized if you just kept of, running yeah. down the hill and it was great. Yeah, it, and I realized that's kind of reductive and that's one specific memory, but not to make this too long right now, there other ones that would have been similar and it's Mm -hmm. like how did this but yeah just thinking about how those early earliest memories shape our personalities yeah which is essentially a large part of this movie as well how yeah louise's memory affects ultimately the plot of the film later she's able to do certain things because of things she remembers that haven't happened yet but she is affected by this scene we're seeing here because this is why it starts here Mm -hmm. 
in the script, we get a scene with the husband, although we don't see his face because the movie doesn't want us to know it's him. And so we get he's involved in this sequence. In the movie, it cuts him out so that he his, his part of their relationship we barely see. Right. Which is interesting because there's got to be something there she liked as well. Now getting back to the memories in the film, we have Hannah at 15, facing left, Louise behind her. And then from there to Hannah, now facing right, and she's facing a doctor who is touching her neck, presumably feeling her lymph nodes. I don't know if the film ever specifies that she has cancer, but it gives us a clear visual with the the bald head. That's common cinematic visual. Now, in the original story, I don't think we've mentioned it yet. It is called Story of Your Life. It is by Ted Chiang. Hannah dies at age 25 in a rock climbing accident, which I feel like the choice to make it cancer in the film was a both a obviously deliberate one, but also a good one, because readers might be able to accept that as something unavoidable, but I think in a film we think it'd be very easy to stop someone from going on a particular rock climbing trip, and it turns it into something where it's Louise's choosing to go along with this memory. Yeah, and we know in the U.S. people love to be judgmental of mm-hmm. mothers. Dr. Yeah, Phil yes. made billions of dollars off of it, so. Yeah, and so by making something less preventable, it makes the, it's still inevitable and easier to accept that Louise can't do anything about it. And at most, she is making the decision to have the child, which is why Ian gets upset when he finds out later. Yeah. And cancer is the second leading cause of death in the United States for Mm. children. 1,200 kids under the age of 15 will die from cancer this year. And I bring that up just to do a brief mention for my friend Angie. So a friend, she's been an online friend for over 20 years whose daughter was diagnosed with cancer when she was 14. Mm-hmm. And she had, well, the cancer was in remission after a first round of treatment and then it came back stronger when I believe she was 17, but still a teenager. And then she ended up dying from the cancer and it was absolute hell, obviously, for her mother and just like, what that would have been like for Louis. Cause we see you know, very sanitized, a brief few moments, but experiencing that in real time every single day, like the treatments and then the Mm -hmm. hospitalizations and then all the decisions that were made. The U.S. actually puts a very small amount of its research budget for cancer into children's cancer research. Mm. And also, when we think about whether she was right for making that choice. I think, I don't know, the film just gives a very, again, just a tiny glimpse into what having a child who suffers for years with a Mm. debilitating illness, disease, that is. But I would never presume to speak for my friend, but I feel with certainty because she said so that absolutely she would make the decision to have her daughter again, even Yeah, I was thinking of what you said a few minutes ago about we like to judge mothers. Yes. (laughs) And I was thinking about this movie because because she knows Hannah's going to have cancer, Mm -hmm. she could have gotten her good treatment pretty early. I don't know how that works at a younger age with cancer, how fast it happens. But then that just makes it feel like all that treatment would be even worse for Louise because 
you do treatment so Hannah can live a little longer, knowing exactly how long she's going to live. And so then we go from this shot of Hannah with the doctor to now Louise is where Hannah just was. They're in a hallway, and we can assume... We don't know exactly what she's being told, but Louise starts to cry, and in narration she says, and this was the end. And we cut to her tucking Hannah into bed again, Hannah now 15, with no hair, and Louise says, shh, come back to me, you come back to me, which goes right back to somewhere in time and the time loop thing, and that thing of what you said with your friend Angie saying she'd still mm-hmm. have the kid is part of why I like a story like Somewhere in Time mm-hmm. or this with the time loop is fate and destiny are these really cheap things you can put into stories, but when you do them right and something like this or Somewhere in Time does it where the inevitable makes the meantime better. Ah, is that in a sense how people talk about cheesy kind of like why life is finite yeah. and has to end because if you just knew you were going to live it's this forever, romanticization yeah. <laughs> of whatever the story is even yeah. this having a child and these moments of her playing with her and mm-hmm. even her yelling i hate you yeah is romanticized in a way because it's so separate from context and so it creates a a nicer version of fate so then we get a wide shot of them, and then we get Louise walking down the hospital hallway, which they deliberately picked a hospital with curved hallways. Yeah, so that was one thing I noticed in the first five minutes yeah. is all the the curves, mm-hmm. which we'll see later with the classroom and the yep. university and everything. It's all curved. Curved desks. And curved it, it fades out, and as Louise says in narration, but now I'm not so sure I believe in beginnings and endings. There are days that define your story beyond your life, like the day they arrived. And then we get Louise walking up the stairs at the school. Uh, students were already gathered around a really big TV in the lounge, which is awesome. <laughs> and then, but Louise just kind of glances over there and continues to class. And she goes into the lecture hall, which yes, is a big curved space. There are only seven students there. Okay, I did count seven. <laughs> which the movie messes us up a little. The, Heptapods have seven arms. Mm-hmm. Seven was supposed to be all over the movie. Mm-hmm. But then they had twelves in like the group of cities and a couple other things. And so it ends up being this back and forth between seven and twelve throughout the film. But Interesting. I'll have to look here, more into that. Even here, the seven, there are numbers of, uh, I know what seven is the number of perfection, twelve is the number of completion, I think. So yeah. there's similar meanings. Twelve as well. is very spiritual, religious. Mm, you have yeah. twelve apostles. You have twelve signs in the zodiac. Yeah. Uh, Louise says good morning. Students say morning. She sets her bag down, and the camera follows around behind her, which is nice because we get a lot of shots, not just Louise's point of view, but we're behind Louise watching the world. So we're often with her. She says, "Where is everyone?" No one answers. She says, okay, well, let's get started. Today we are talking about Portuguese and why it sounds so different from the other Romance languages. We get a reverse shot as she unzips her laptop case and starts taking books and stuff out. As she says, the story of Portuguese begins in the kingdom of Galicia, which is not entirely true. Sort of. The two are related. (laughs) Yeah, related, but it was kind of when I started reading about the history that it's really complicated with there, all well, the kingdoms. There is a medieval ancestor to the two of them that linguists call mm-hmm. Galician Portuguese. Yes. And that developed from vulgar Latin in Kingdom of Galicia and Northern Portugal. 
But when is this? Um, you know, from my reading, Galicia as a political entity was founded by King Hermeric 1600 years ago in the year 409. Well, that's even earlier than Portuguese came from yeah. it, though. It's either 13th, I'm reading 13th and 14th century, both written down for different things. Well, that would make sense. Portugal, well, independent Portugal existed in 1128. That's when Portugal okay. became Portugal. And, and so what would become Portugal and what was Galicia separated. Really, Portuguese came after Galicia, not from Galicia. Right. But I guess it'd be worth talking about Galicia because then you can talk about differences between Portuguese and Spanish and why it sounds different. Yeah. According to linguistlist.com, Portuguese is closer to its ancestor language, Proto-Romance, than any of the other Romance languages like Spanish, French, Italian. Mm -hmm. And it's truest to its original form. Reason for that being that the area which is Portugal is the most isolated geographically from the Mediterranean. And so the language mostly evolved on its own with yeah. fewer outside influences. Also, contrary to Portuguese and other languages, Galician did not have a dictionary until the 18th century. And so Galician was doing lots of changes along with Spanish and other, like French, more inland than Portuguese. So the bigger question is why this is the language that the film is mentioning or why this is the focus. Because the film largely is about language and communication. Right. So um, why this language? My guess was it's uh, the like Brazilian New World Connection. Portuguese mm -hmm. is a language we connect with colonization. And the implication is we should be thinking about colonization, even though that's not what's happening. You mean that's not what's happening in the film? Right. But the movie is trying to like plant that in her head. So maybe we're thinking about colonization and we see these ships come and we're, mm -hmm. we're worried like the yeah. other characters would be. Otherwise it's could just, it's in the script. I mean, it's just yeah. it's mentioning Portuguese. So I don't know. It's a specific reference that may just be there to, because it's, or maybe they're hoping it's something we don't know. You want to make yeah. your linguist sound good. Have That's them say true. Something say something interesting. Because she's going to say something know. wrong in yeah. her next big linguist moment. <laughs> we'll get to that when we get to that. But while she's saying this, someone's phone goes off. We get a reverse shot from behind Louise as the one student says, sorry. Louise tries to continue. She says, in the Middle Ages, where language was seen as an expression of art, and she's removing books from her bag. You have the camera on her, and then it reverses again as another student's phone goes off, and this segment ends before we know why. So Louise doesn't know what's going on in the news at this point? Right. Or she... In the script, there's even her driving to the school, and there's weird things in the street, and she just isn't thinking about any of them. And visually, that would work okay, because we've just seen her thinking about her daughter, which we assume right. died in the past. She's preoccupied. It's interesting also, though, as she ignores the students in the lounge at the TV, you could think she knows exactly what they're watching. And that's why she doesn't need to go over there and look. Yeah, depending on... Same here. Is like, she's just annoyed by the phones. She knows what today is. She doesn't have to do... She doesn't want yeah. to deal with that. Why didn't she just cancel she her class? Right. <laughs> I don't know. It felt... Being a teacher, it felt so odd that she just started her class. I mean, she did say, like, hey, where is everyone? Yeah. But I don't know. I feel like if you I got went that into big lecture hall, you got a large more than seven lecture students. class <laughs> and seven students were there, I'd be saying more than, like, hey, what's going on yeah. before going into my lecture about... <laughs> Galician language or whatever. 
And it also did make me think of the last day that I've been in a classroom, which was Friday the 13th back in March, Mm. where Cal State LA had shut down, but the community college where I was teaching had not yet. They'd sent out a few emails like they were about to, and it turns out after that day of class, they did. But I sent out a message to my students saying, like encouraging them to please feel free to stay home that I was going to be there because technically did have class and it was my job. And, you know, especially if it was going to be a while before we saw each other that I could help them out, answer questions. And to be honest, just because of safety and because I knew what was going on, I was hoping that none of them would show up and I could just talk to them online. It was seven people, I believe, that showed up. So there's always that set of students that mm-hmm. think that, like, if there's something they they even think they're supposed to do, they will do they it. They will and show up, yeah. And I guess that's true of, like, any population. Yeah, there's going to be that yeah, core group, group that <laughs> has to be there if anything yeah, might happen. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So since we didn't do any pilot episode, we will be continuing covering this in five-minute segments. I will inevitably reference other films. I will inevitably reference more philosophy and calm theory. And we may have some guests. Our last show that we did together, Pump Up the Minute, we didn't end up having any guests because the way we recorded that was very short-term. Recorded yeah. it usually the morning the show was going up. <laughs> Three times a week. Yeah. So. This one is going to be a little more both relaxed and formal than that. So we should have some guests, some other podcasters maybe, and maybe someone who was involved in the film. I don't know. In the meantime, if you need to hear more from us before our next episode, you can find me on lots of podcasts. You can go to lemmingdrops.com for links, but they include Michael Myers Minute covering the original Halloween currently. There's The Room Minute covering The Room, Cock and Bull Minute sort of covering Tristram Shandy, Annihilation Minute covering Annihilation very in-depth and poetically and weirdly. And in addition to hearing me co-host Pump Up the Minute, you can listen to my podcast Life as a Playlist, which talks more about memory and childhood memory and the association between emotion and the music that we grow up with, and also includes some larger social and political commentary in a lot of episodes. And you can hear that just about anywhere you listen to your podcast and follow Life as a Playlist on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yeah, that just happened. Thank you for listening. Follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 5-Minute Arrival. Or go to lemmingdrops.com for links. This was the beginning of your story.